engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It's 3.08. I'm Eric Erickson in for Sean Hannity this afternoon here on WSB as we try to get you guys out of town for the Labor Day weekend. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Thank you for joining me. Before we get into all of the news of the day, uh, just a, a small observation, if you'll allow. For two weeks now, Americans from all walks of life have stared at the heavens in wonder. Two weeks ago, there was an eclipse on a Monday that went coast to coast. The Great American Eclipse, they called it, coast to coast from Oregon to South Carolina, even part of North Georgia. And Americans from all over the country, in fact, people from all over the world, traveled, in some cases, thousands and thousands of miles to be in the path of an eclipse. And then this past week, less than a week after the eclipse, really, the heavens opened again and Americans stared in wonder as the clouds opened and the rain poured forth. And then we stared in wonder again out across the floodwaters as we saw ordinary Americans, men and women of common good, helping their neighbor. It didn't matter that they were black or white or gay or straight or Republican or Democrat or anything else. It just mattered that they were neighbors in need. And by neighbor, in some case, people who live thousands of miles apart hundreds of miles apart even. You had people in Atlanta blocking traffic, lining the road, coming to WSP's parking lot to deliver cases and cases of water. So much water, in fact, loaded onto one of the trucks that the tires popped. And a different truck had to be gotten to send it to Texas. There was no thought of, who did you vote for if I'm going to help you? There was no thought of, what do you think of this policy? There was no thought of, who are your parents? There was no thought of, where are you from? There was no thought of, are you legal or illegal? There was no thought of any of these things. Two weeks in a row, Americans stared at the sky in wonder and looked at each other and saw other people without politics. And I think that's worth remarking on because we are divided about so much in this country. Whether you see it as just God or Mother Nature, nature has provided a way for us in these last two weeks to two times transcend politics. There have been those who certainly tried to make things political out of both. There are those those ill-mannered souls who can't help but be political about anything. I I restarted today the Not Everything is Political podcast to talk to people about things other than podcasts. I spoke with Ken Cuccinelli of the Senate Conservatives Fund. He's a longtime friend, and there were some political comments along the way. Nothing too deep. Uh, tried to steer clear of them as best I could. 
but it is possible to connect to your next door neighbor without caring about who they voted for for president, or at least it should be. And if you can't do that, it says more about you than your neighbor. People are at each other's throat over the smallest, slightest thing these days. You got Christians yelling at Christians over the Nashville statement. You've got people yelling at each other over the budget. You got people yelling at each other over Robert Mueller. You got people yelling at each other over the president. You got the president yelling at everyone else. And in Texas, the floodwaters have risen. And people put all that on hold to help their next door neighbor, to help the man down the street, to help the man in the state over. The Cajun Navy showed up. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Cajun Navy, by now I hope you are. But after Katrina, uh, Louisiana is my home state, if you didn't know. And after Katrina, there were thousands of people left homeless, left stranded, on the verge of dying, on the verge of drowning. And the Coast Guard, the Navy, the Army, they couldn't get to them. So average, ordinary Americans with their bass boats got out on the bayous and loaded people up and rescued them, neighbor helping neighbor. My buddy Bobby Jindal, before he was governor of Louisiana, he was a congressman, and he uh, was telling me one time that he actually broke in to a National Guard armory during Katrina. There was no one around, and they needed supplies, but they also needed guns. They were dealing with, with snakes and alligators. They needed guns, so they literally, he and his staff, broke into a National Guard armory with the help of the local sheriff while no one was around securing munitions, um, uh, MREs, and whatnot to go out and help people. And got a complete pass because they were doing what needed to be done. People in Texas getting a complete pass this week because of things needing to be done. And they're not worried about the daily politics of the day. They're not worried about whether or not the president's going to do something on Twitter this afternoon. They're not worried about who's fired. They're not worried about tax policy. They're not worried about the repeal of Obamacare. They're not worried about judges. They're not worried about any of these things. They're worried about keeping people alive and rescuing people and restoring lives. There are still things in life bigger than politics. And what amazes me so often, so much, is how often so many people want to politicize all of these things. There are so often so many people who want to turn the rescue into politics. There, there are certainly political stories, and we won't ignore them. i got a stack of stuff to cover with you for the next three hours. But it's also worth covering the non-political. It's also worth covering the neighbor helping the neighbor. It's also worth, worth covering the people from out of state who gave money, who gave water, who gave supplies, who boxed lunches. Some of them drove to Texas. I have friends who flew to Texas to help with the relief effort. I've got friends who showed up in Texas and they couldn't do anything else to help, but they could cook for the relief workers. They could cook for the people in shelters. They could find available food. They could run errands for people. They could help people. And there are a lot of those stories out there. And at times like this, you know, the media will focus on these. For, for a small while, the media will focus on these things, and then the media will move on again, and they will try again to pit neighbor versus neighbor, Republican versus Democrat, gay versus straight, black versus white, you name it. They'll try to pit all of that together. But sometimes, sometimes, occasionally, believe it or not, people can set that stuff aside. And they should be commended for it. Now, 
We will get into the other news of the day. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. It is Eric Erickson here in for Sean Hannity. A little early today here on WSB, largely because we got the Labor Day traffic we're dealing with. As uh, traffic concerns continue to worsen in the area, uh, traffic will cut in. We'll go to my normal clock here in the 5 o'clock hour where we stop every six minutes. Uh, we'll escalate that if need be. Uh, we do have on the docket the President of the United States considering tax reform and uh DACA, getting rid of the Dreamer program. Uh, there have been a heavy corporate interest petitioning the president in the last 24 hours to keep the DACA program, that's the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. Uh, the Dreamers, the kids who have been in this country for so long, they don't know any other country. And President Obama issued an executive order uh, saying that they could stay. Well, for two years, while immigration processed them and they had the chance to work on citizenship, uh, the question has been whether or not President uh, Trump was going to reverse that policy and do a mass deportation, if you will. And in many cases, um, the president has not gotten rid of DACA. He got rid of DAPA, the parent program for parents of uh, American citizen children. Now, what we do know here and what we are seeing this afternoon is that Paul Ryan has suggested that the president uh, keep people here in the country and not deport them. Paul Ryan has come out, in fact, and said he's going to submit legislation or has now submitted legislation in the last hour uh, to allow young undocumented immigrants or illegal aliens to stay in the country. Um, this is a somewhat of a sore spot for, for you guys and me, I guess, because uh, my position is if you are a toddler whose parents brought you into this country and you have no memory of your home country and you're now in your 20s, I don't have a problem with you staying if this is the only country you've ever, ever known. I, I really don't. In the same way, I don't have a problem with someone who's in their 70s, who's an illegal alien, who's been here for the last 40 years. Uh, staying in the country. Now all of their kids and grandkids are American citizens. I don't have a problem saying I, I'm morally opposed to breaking up families. But I do have a problem with a lot of these people insisting that they have a right to stay. And I do have a problem with a lot of people insisting that they should get ahead of the line uh, in terms of getting citizenship. And I do have a problem with a lot of people going out and hiring people to forge documents to try to claim that they've been here longer than they have. I got a lot of problems with that. But on the general principle of you came over here with your parents who were illegal aliens, you were a toddler, you don't know any other country, you've been here ever since, you speak the language, you've incorporated yourself into American society, you're an American for all intents and purposes even though you don't have citizenship. Maybe you should only be allowed a resident alien status. And see, that's the thing with the people, like the, the DAPA program. The people who came here as illegal aliens and gave birth to children here who are now American citizens, uh, I don't think we should reward or incentivize people coming here as illegal aliens and being able to stay. So I don't think they should get citizenship, but I do not have a problem with giving them resident alien status, permanent resident alien status, uh, in the feuding and the fighting. Uh, but first of all, before all of that, I think that we need to build the wall. I think there needs to be a wall because I think the conversation, even for hardline immigration opponents, and I shouldn't say immigration opponents, illegal immigration opponents, 
even for hardline illegal immigration opponents who say, round up all these people. I don't care that they were a day old when they came here and this is all they've ever known. They're not an American citizen. They came here illegally, get them out of the country. Even for a lot of people, not all, but a lot, if not most, if you build the border wall and you secure the border, the conversation changes even for them. Because the problem is you start doing this stuff now without a border wall, without a secure border, you're going to have a lot of people forging documents, and you and I both know there are a lot of Democrats embedded in the bureaucracy who are going to turn a blind eye to the forged documents and allow a lot of people to stay who shouldn't. So build the wall first, and then we can have a conversation about what to do about the people who are here who shouldn't be here because they're illegal, but they've otherwise made an honest living while they're here. It is 26 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. And for Sean Hannity this afternoon, uh, radar in the Atlanta area, largely clear. Uh, thank goodness. Uh, the clouds rolling out. Did a time lapse earlier today as the storms were shifting out of the area. Uh, just from our front porch. The phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Um, real quick, um, this weekend, when, when you get to church on Sunday, ask your pastor what he thinks about the Nashville statement. Uh, encourage him to sign it. I'm a big advocate of that. And I have a big announcement. I'm really excited. I am getting it should be here in the next 30 minutes. The first hardbound copy of my book. I am. It is the beginning of college football this weekend. A legitimate college. Now, listen, I realize there have been a couple of football games on TV earlier, but they're from schools none of us have ever heard of. Uh, might as well be high school football games. And uh, real college football starts uh, god bless chick-fil-a tomorrow night you got alabama florida state we got college football coming people and i will i will put it up at the resurgent again i last year because of you guys had so many people ask if i would actually make gumbo in real time particularly the roux and time it out and talk people through it so that you can have gumbo we got the cooler weather it is perfect i will be making gumbo this weekend probably on Labor Day, uh, and you can do it. It is easy to do. I have mapped it all out for you. I will put the recipe up at the top of the resurgent for you. I even have a video with it that you can watch, and in real time, do it with me, making a roux so you don't get freaked out by it, and you can have gumbo this weekend. It is not hard. I know people have gumbo has a reputation of being hard because of making the roux, but it's not, and it is the perfect fall, winter weather, we rarely, rarely make it until Labor Day if it's begun to, begun to get cool when college football starts, and then we're done at Easter. And you don't have it through the summer. Well, because it's it's a spicy meal and it, it can be hot, and you don't want hot soup during the summertime. You want something cool. Nonetheless, you can bring people together over a pot of gumbo. I will make it happen. Uh, in fact, I, I will update it. And so if you text WSB to 444999, you'll be able to sign up for the show notes today. And so you'll get it in email tomorrow. Uh, and I bring that all up because the recipe is also in my book. 
um, before you wake. And I cannot wait for that hard copy to get here. I'm very, very excited by it. Uh, I'm really proud of this book. Uh, and when we come back, we got to shift into gear tax reform. Are they going to raise taxes? The president's team is saying yes. It is 38 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson in for Sean Hannity this afternoon on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Remember, it's Labor Day weekend. Traffic is going to be miserable getting out of town. Some offices have already let out. So stay with us. Also, you can get the WSB Traffic app. Uh, I keep it running on my phone. And it sends me push alerts. The coolest part about this app, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you haven't heard it widely promoted, uh, you can get this app either put in your where you're headed or just say what part of Atlanta you're interested in. And you can get triple team traffic text alerts to you about that area of town. So you are always on the know of what's happening. Now, I get the entire metro area on my phone. And it is actually triple team traffic. It is not a computer. It is more accurate than even things like Waze. Uh, it's real people doing it who are professionals who are monitoring this stuff 24-7. It's not some sort of crowdsource thing where you can still have a an alert for a wreck five hours after the wreck has been cleared. Uh, highly recommend it. You can get it in uh, the iTunes store, the, the, the App Store for Apple or whatever the inferior version of the Android one is. They also, they've uh, behooved themselves to stoop low and get Android versions for their phone. Even though everyone knows an iPhone is the superior product. Now, tax reform. We need to talk about this because it's not going well for the Republicans. And Gary Cohn, who is the president's uh, economic advisor, top economic advisor, is suggesting that we're going to get it by the end of the year. This is significant because the president and vice president had said we would get it by June. Well, June has come and gone. Steve Munchen, Nunchen, whatever you say his name is, the Treasury Secretary said we would get it by Labor Day. Well, Labor Day's here and they haven't started. So now Gary Cohen is saying we'll get it by the end of the year. Meanwhile, John McCain is calling for regular order in Congress. What is it? First, we, we need to take a step back and ask, what is regular order in Congress? Because you, you hear that phrase sometimes on TV, the talking heads talk about it. Regular order in Congress is letting the congressional committees draft the legislation. What has typically happened now for the last decade, uh, Republicans started it under Bush, uh, Democrats uh, went with gusto under Barack Obama. And uh, now the Republicans are doing it. And typically when one side controls both the House, the Senate and, and the White House, you end regular order. Regular order is uh, the committee system works. It is slow, but you don't have leadership uh, producing legislation. What you have is, say, for example, the president wants tax reform. What then happens is someone submits legislation uh, on behalf of the president. It goes to committee, and the committee actually builds the package. It's not one of those things where they work on it in the back room and then drop it on the Senate floor. It goes through the entire committee process. Uh, what happens is the Democrats and Republicans alike participate. The, the problem with regular order a lot of times is it grows government. It never shrinks government. Uh, and also it allows opposition forces to mobilize. Now, with 
the tax package. We have an interesting situation in that Chuck Schumer, the Senate Democratic leader, has a vested interest in getting some level of tax reform passed. And the reason he does is because he represents New York and a lot of corporations. Um, the, The Delaware congressmen and senators also have an incentive because so many corporations, Fortune 500 companies, are incorporated in Delaware, given their corporate laws. And you've got even in California, you've got, for example, Apple has parked tens if not hundreds of billions of dollars offshore. They would love to bring that money back into the United States, but the United States right now has the highest corporate tax rate. And because it has the highest corporate tax rate, Apple has no intention of bringing its money that it has in banks in Ireland back into the United States. Why? Because as long as that money is sitting in a bank in Ireland, the United States government cannot touch it. They cannot tax it. And Apple can use the money that's in the banks in Ireland to fund all parts of its business outside of the United States. And it can take loans inside the United States and debt service contracts on the money that's in Ireland because it's already in the bank. They just can't bring that money back into the United States or it's going to get taxed. So if you lower the American tax burden on corporations... What will happen is Apple will bring that money back and put it into the American economy, and we will get some tax. And and the argument from corporations is that right now you're getting nothing. All of this money is being parked offshore. It's not coming back. It's not just Apple. It is Apple. It's Google. It's Facebook. It's Microsoft. It's ExxonMobil. It's uh, BP. It's ConocoPhillips. It's General Motors. It's Ford. You name it. Every major American corporation has capital parked offshore funding the business that it would love to repatriate but won't because Uncle Sam's going to take a minimum of a quarter of it. If you lower the corporate tax rate in the United States, that money will come home. And so Democrats have a vested interest in that money coming home as well. They understand the calculus. Right now, they've got zero. They could have 15% of $100 billion from just a handful of companies, which is a pretty good chunk of change to fund their pet projects. The problem is not on the corporate side, although the media focuses on that and left-wing corporate interest groups focus on that. The problem is not really on the um, on the corporate tax side. The problem is on the individual tax side. Republicans like to cut taxes for people. How do you do this? The president, Gary Cohn, now is telling people privately, and he did so publicly today on CNBC, that they're really not opposed to raising taxes on the wealthy. In particular, people who make $5 million and above, which isn't a lot of people, um, but it would impact revenue. And they're thinking maybe a million dollars and above. What they're planning on doing, what their strategy is, is to get rid of deductions. So they will lower the rates of the individual income tax, and then they will get rid of deductions. In other words, they will streamline the process. And in streamlining the process, they will allow... um, They will allow billionaires and millionaires to take far less in deductions. Notice I said that, allow them, yes. See, one of the proposals that some Democrats want to take is to get rid of itemized deductions altogether. 
So you will get a percentage deduction, and that percentage deduction will be calculated to cover the charitable deduction, the mortgage interest deduction, the child care deductions, all that. I don't think Republicans are going to bite on that, but Republicans do want to curtail the deductions they will allow rich people to take. So if you make less than a million dollars, you'll have more deductions you'll be allowed to take than if you're over a million dollars. The problem is this. Everything I'm saying is speculative. It is hypothetical. It is based on what these people have been saying, but none of them have a plan. And Gary Cohen now thinks that they will be able to have a plan by the end of this year. And I'm not so sure. In fact, I was on Fox Business this morning. I got up. I have been up since four o'clock this morning. If I sound a little tired, I apologize. Got up at 4 a.m., uh, was on with Fox Business at 5 a.m. talking about this and said, I really don't think it'll happen until mid-year next year, maybe June, middle of June next year. Uh, because it's going to take Congress a while, and if they do regular order, as uh, some in Congress, more than just John McCain, want, that's going to the committee process is going to take a while. Lobbyists are going to get involved, and I know for certain that Paul Ryan and Jeb Hensarling, who is one of the ranking Republicans in the House who will oversee this stuff, they are deeply concerned about what the lobbyists are going to do. They are deeply concerned that the lobbyists are going to try to pollute and corrupt the process and get all sorts of stuff for for their clients, including wealthy individuals, and leave everybody else hanging. And they don't want to see that happen, which I is a good thing they're concerned about the lobbyists. It is. Uh, it is a good thing. But we got to have something. The American tax code has not been fixed since 1986. They have nibbled at it. They have, they've tweaked it. They've done all sorts of stuff. But they have not in any way, shape, or form meaningfully changed the tax code. They've just complicated it. And we need tax simplification. Hopefully, we will be able to get it. I hope we'll be able to get it. Along the way, we got other stuff coming. As I mentioned with DACA, Paul Ryan is introduced, has introduced now. It was going to be introduced. It is now this afternoon. In the last 45 minutes, according to Paul Ryan's office, he has dropped legislation to make DACA uh, a congressionally passed legislation. He's got enough Republican and Democrat support to get that done. One of the biggest objections to DACA is not that President Obama did this to allow kids to stay here until they can be processed by immigration. It's that Barack Obama did it by executive order, and there's no authority for the president to be able to do this. And President Trump himself is saying that he loves the Dreamers and he likes DACA. He used to not. He campaigned against it. Now he says he likes it. But the president has expressed a concern this afternoon that DACA is not constitutional and he's worried about the constitutionality. Now, you can say whatever you want to say on that. I realize there are liberals listening right now saying this president doesn't care about constitutionality. Say that all you want. I'm taking him at his word. And whether you take him at his word or not, it is true. It is a real and legitimate concern that DACA was was done by President Obama as an in run around Congress because Congress didn't do, want to do anything. And did he have the authority? And there have been enough federal judges to call it into question that it could very well be unconstitutional. And the president wants to have a permanent solution. You know, the president has come out. I should note, and said he wants comprehensive immigration reform. Not in the way John McCain wants it, not in the way George W. Bush wanted it, but he wants a comprehensive plan to get this off the table. If there is one seriously good thing President Trump could do in his tenure in office, be it four years or eight or some other period of time, 
he, I think, has the greater potential than anyone else to take a lot of these things that Republicans and Democrats have played political football with and actually get them done. One of them being comprehensive immigration reform, another being tax reform. Instead of using them as campaign issues, get them done. Why? Because he doesn't really care. He, the president is running on force of personality. He's not running on himself or he's not running on specific policies other than the wall. He's running on I'm Donald Trump and I can get things done and I'm going to fight. So he doesn't need to use comprehensive immigration reform as a way to get people to the bulls. He doesn't need to use tax reform or lack thereof to get people to the bulls. All he needs is judges and I'm Donald Trump. And that'll get enough conservatives to the polls to get him reelected in 2020. So he can get rid of some of these things Democrats have used as weapons by actually getting done what Democrats claimed they were going to get done. And frankly, some Republicans claimed they were going to do as well. It is, well, just about 57 after the hour. Eric Erickson here in for Hannity this afternoon on WSB. Next hour, we're going to pick up traffic uh, every six minutes. Why? Because it is awful out there. Uh, getting worse as people head out of town for Labor Day. Uh, curious what all of you guys are doing. We were actually going to go out of town this weekend and go to Atlanta and do some shopping with the kids. It's the 12-year-old's birthday. And they've all got sinus infections so we're just staying home and resting which is fine i could use the sleep and i got a lot of homework to do um in any event 404-872-0750 1-800-WSB talk yesterday i mentioned google and uh, the growing suspicion from people about Google. And now there are calls that um, we need to, Republicans need to start delving into Google. There's also a note from a reporter out today that's circulating around about how Google killed one of her stories because of what she reported. And they won't, they, they don't deny what she said was true. They don't deny it. Uh, pretty unbelievable what the reporter is claiming. Before we get to that, though, I've got to tell you. There's a website out there called Mashable. Mashable.com. It's supposedly a tech site. It's kind of morphed uh, due to investors. It's now one of those clickbait sites that, that runs everything. And they've actually got a, a report out about a technology company that makes a... Um, menstrual health app, a period tracking app, and they're praising this company for going gender neutral. That's right. They don't want to, they don't want the app to cater to women because they think men can have a period as well. So they've gotten rid of pink colors and soft blue colors, and they've changed the whole color scheme because, you know, trans men have periods too, and they don't want to be off-putting to men with all the pink. Y'all, it is a societal madness. It is people have lost their damn minds. When we come back, though, we'll get away from that. We'll get into the Google stuff. Should Republicans start investigating Google?
It is 4.09. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. We're starting early in for Sean Hannity this afternoon, largely because of the traffic situation. Out there right now, it is Labor Day weekend. People are headed out of town. Uh, wish you a great three-day weekend. Uh, hope you're going someplace nice, the beach or the mountains, elsewhere. Uh, we're staying put. One, because we didn't plan well, and then the kids got sick, so it was too late. We couldn't plan. I want to go back up to that cabin in Blue Ridge. By the way, that reminds me um, uh, where, because um, I have, a bunch of you have been asking, and I keep forgetting to tell you, uh, Cabin Rentals of Georgia, uh, with dashes between cabin-rentals-of-georgia.com. Uh, that's where I found the cabin up in North Georgia where I went for the Eclipse. Great people up there in Blue Ridge, beautiful cabins right on the Tacoa. I want to go back after I get my kayak and just go down the Tacoa. Uh, beautiful area up there in North Georgia. I love it. Uh, one day if I win the lottery, I want a mountain house up there. Anyway. Um, that, that's it. Uh, but it, traffic is terrible. Now, uh, what else is terrible? Well, there's a lot of news out there and I want to start with Google because both sides now, Republicans and Democrats are starting to raise concerns as more and more stories are coming out about Google's behavior. There is a reporter who used to write for Forbes who released a story today. I believe it, uh, the tech site Gizmodo. And what she says is really disturbing. Uh, she was in a meeting at Forbes when Google was starting its Google Plus site. For those of you who don't know what Google Plus is, very few people know what it is. They decided to build a competitor to Facebook, and they very clearly decided that they were going to leverage uh, the search aspect of Google to build a community with no even consideration to the design of the site. It was a horrible, is still a horribly designed site. But Google went into a meeting with Forbes and informed Forbes that it was going to add a, a plus one button. You know how you've got a like button for Facebook. Google's version was a plus one button. And they said in the meeting, the sales team, that if Forbes did not add their buttons to connect into Google social network that their searches would be devalued. So people would have a harder time finding Forbes's content on Google's web service. The reporter called Google's PR team to confirm that she had heard this and that it was actually true. And the PR team at Google said, yes, it was true. So she wrote a story in Forbes that at a meeting at Forbes to promote Google's new service, Google told them that if they didn't include a, a Google button, much like the Facebook like button, that their Google would devalue their searches. Funny thing happened. Google called and complained that not that she was wrong, but that everyone in the meeting had signed a non-disclosure agreement. She had not. Uh, but Forbes killed the story after Google threatened to sue them for violating the NDA. Uh, they never actually challenged the accuracy of the, the information. On top of that, she notes that miracle of miracles, it is virtually impossible to search for that article. Forbes took the link off their front page. They didn't actually delete the article off the Internet, but you can't find it now. Hmm. Other stories linking to her story are still there, but her stories disappeared. 
So now you add into that that Google was able to get the Obama administration to squash an investigation in 2012 of whether or not Google had devalued searches uh, related to Mitt Romney and boosted positive searches related to Hillary Clinton. There was an actual, there were legitimate claims. Uh, the FTC concluded that Google's conduct had resulted and will result in real harm to consumers and innovation in online search and advertising markets in the election, but that was a private report accidentally disclosed. The Obama administration asked the FTC not to release it publicly. My buddy Joe actually has texted me and said there is a up at Red State, uh, my old stomping grounds on the internet, uh, there is actually a story up related to this right now um, under their Red State Insider account, which is a sourced account. Um, maybe it's not posted yet. Um, maybe it's going up soon in any event. Um, reporters in Washington and at other networks, uh, at major news networks, are hesitant to report on what's happening with Google because of Google advertising. See, this is one of the things that people don't understand. There used to be a bunch of advertising networks. For example, at theresurgent.com, we put in an ad code, and it connects to Google, and Google displays an ad at um, the resurgent. Google has bought up basically every company that does embedded ad codes. It has a monopoly, essentially, in display advertising. Amazon is about the only company that gives them a run for their money. The result of this is that Google is able to control content because they're able to control advertising. I mentioned a story yesterday in which Google reached out to a conservative website. Someone had complained about a particular piece on this website and told the website that if they did not take down this one piece, Google was going to cancel advertising for their entire site. So they had no choice. They had to do it. Now, you take all of these powers of Google on top of the story from yesterday that at the New America Foundation, Google did not like that uh, a free market, the well, not a free market, I should say an open markets institute within the left-wing New America Foundation had criticized Google and supported the European Union going after Google on antitrust violations. The New America Foundation has gotten a lot of money from Google. So Google not only had Barry Lynn, the head of the Open Markets Institute, fired, they had the entire Open Markets Institute shut down within the New America Foundation. Google does not like criticism. Take this behavior, folks. Let's extend it to a hypothetical that I don't actually think is a hypothetical, but I think is real. You've got them firing James Damore for daring to suggest that there are biological differences between men and women. And if you want to attract women into technology, you may have to do things differently than you do for men. They completely mischaracterized his points, claiming he thought that women were biologically incapable of technology. That's not what he actually said. They fired him for it. They 
demoted a, a possibly demoted a reporter story that was critical of them because of their social network. They certainly admitted that they were tying the story. They were tying traffic growth to doing what Google wanted. They have told conservative sites to shut down stuff they did not like or they would take out their entire advertising revenue. They've already been investigated by the Federal Trade Commission in a report the Obama administration refused to release, suggesting that they manipulated search to possibly benefit Hillary Clinton. It doesn't take much to see where this heads with this group of liberals at Google. You're a Christian? Good luck finding Christian sites on the Internet through Google. You're a conservative? Good luck finding out anything positive about your presidential candidate or your Senate candidate or your gubernatorial candidate. You're a conservative? Well, imagine that all the searches that show the worst stuff about you are up top. You are skeptical of the left's global warming claims? Good luck finding sympathetic eyes and ears on on, on Google, rather. They can control search. They can control the information you see. If they're doing these other things, it is not a leap to think they're doing that. It's just a micro step in that direction. Republicans don't like to go after businesses for antitrust. They shouldn't. They should be hesitant to do it. But Google has a virtual monopoly on search. More and more people use it. By default, it is the default search on every Android phone and every phone put out by Apple. You can change it on Apple, but it's the default. They pay Apple billions of dollars a year to be the default. Folks, it doesn't take a genius to see where this heads, and that's why Republicans should be real seriously looking into what Google is doing. Twenty-six after the hour. It is Eric Erickson here. News ninety-five-five AM seven fifty WSB. The phone number four zero four eight seven two zero seven five zero one eight hundred WSB. Talk. Uh, we got uh, nice, clear skies around here, which is good. Finally, um, the rain seems to be moved away for now, at least for now. Uh, South Georgia is getting all sorts of storms this afternoon. Y'all, CBS, now I know this is going to upset some of you who are still in denial, but CBS admitted today that it studied why its NFL ratings were down last year. And it turns out, believe it or not, CBS, along with the NFL and ESPN, and ABC, which of course is affiliated with ESPN, are all now showing the same thing. The protests, the the national anthem protests caused people to turn off uh, football. Here's the thing that I think, um, well, liberals who watch ESPN in particular have forgotten. Most people go to sports as a distraction from politics or whatever else is going on in life. And when the players decided to bring in the protests, they brought in their politics. They brought in their political beliefs. No one cares whether Colin Kaepernick is a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian, or a Communist. They just want to watch him play football. But he doing his stupid protest and the other players joining in 
and then bad-mouthing the country that has made them all multimillionaires rubbed people the wrong way, and they stopped watching. They gave up watching a game they love. You know, football's got all sorts of other problems. Now, you've got the ESPN analyst who has quit, um, claiming that he's tired of watching what they're doing to their bodies and they're killing each other. And uh, football is developing a real image problem with the the lefty beta male sort who's out there saying, oh, they're hurting themselves, but they're also hurting themselves with moms. My wife, uh, when our kid was born, was just so excited she was going to have a son play football. He's eight years old now, and she's like, I don't want him. Maybe soccer, maybe baseball, maybe definitely golf, but not football. The way they're training, the way they're doing stuff, they're going to have to scale it back at some point, uh, I would think. Um, having these kids, we were watching some kid on YouTube over at my wife's uh, high school alma mater was uh, squatting over 600 pounds, and the kid's like 16 years old. We're like, what are you doing to your body? It's long-term not good, and uh, the protests are just the beginning. Guess what? I'm not Sean Hannity. (laughs) Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. It's 38 after the hour. Uh, Hannity is off for Labor Day, and I'm stepping in early here because we've got the situation of traffic in Atlanta. Now, I want to pivot to a local issue, uh, and one it's been, I have been meaning to talk about for several days, and with everything else going on with the flood and whatnot, we just haven't been able to get to it. But it, it is a near and dear to me as an issue, and I'm proud of our Georgia Supreme Court for dealing with this issue the way it has. Um, and if, just for some personal background here, my first job, uh, my first real job, I would say, is I worked at the high school from which I graduated. Uh, I would come back, go home to Louisiana from Mercer and would work in my high school. And at the time, our um, uh, our school superintendent was a just a, a terribly corrupt person. Um, but at least had the fantastic genius to bring in a lady named Billy Winsey to be the head of combining, since they were all in one big building, the elementary, high school, and middle school, uh, which had separate principals, and, and Billy Winsey came in as a headmaster, and she put me on her payroll to help get things up and running for this combined thing. And I would work on discipline and all sorts of stuff. And one of the things that she and I both hated and just refused to do within the school was one size fits all discipline because I having been a very recent student and she having a a PhD and, and having worked in special ed and whatnot understood that there are kids who will get in trouble but you know to be good kids and they've made a mistake or they've done something bad or in the age of zero tolerance, they dared to bring bare aspirin to school because they have a headache. And there is no reason that they should be treated the same way as the kid who is a perpetual troublemaker. And modern American education policy has essentially taken away from teachers and administrators, in some cases because of litigious parents, I got to acknowledge that, they have taken away from them the ability to treat good students as if they're good and bad students as if they're bad on a regular basis. It is one size fits all, zero tolerance nonsense. Sorry, I had something in my hand and dropped it. Well, the Georgia Supreme Court this week has ruled 
that those schools may have a zero-tolerance policy on fighting, self-defense trumps that policy. This case comes from Henry County, where two girls, and because they're, they're under the age of 18, their names are not given, but there are two girls who had a chronic history of not getting along. And one of the girls had to go to the school parking lot to get something from her car and on the way back began being harassed by another girl. And it was very clear who the harasser was and who the the person who was just trying to get out of the way was. Well, the harasser began being more abusive and essentially demanded that they fight and started, provoked, instigated the fight. The other girl had no choice but fight back. She fought back and defended herself. And because of one-size-fits-all policies and zero-tolerance-on-fighting policies, Henry County Schools expelled both girls. And the victim, who defended herself, sued. The Georgia Supreme Court ruled this week that she had a right of self-defense. And that right of self-defense is a constitutional right, and it trumps the, the policies against fighting in schools. And I am so glad they did it. I am so glad. I, I, have, a, I have a moral problem. And I, moral is not a strong word here. I think it fits. I have a moral problem with treating the good kid and the bad kid the same when the fight happens. Rarely, I again, I have worked in public schools. I have worked in public school tutorial programs. I, I have worked in inner city elementary schools. At one point, I wanted to get an education degree, so I go to law school and had to put in time in schools. And rarely, rarely is it both kids are to blame for the fight that breaks out. They may have long-running problems that are equally shared, but rarely do they both provoke each other. Usually it is one of them comes to school and decides that's the day they're going to have the upper hand and they're going to start the fight. And I have a real hard time treating the kid who's just defending himself as badly as the kid who started the fight. And our modern education system in the United States demands that we do that. Our modern education system demands that though every teacher in a school knows who the good kids are and the bad kids are, and let's not BS each other, folks. You know and I know every school has bad kids and has good kids. Every school has a bully, and you all know who the bully is in your kid's school if you've got kids. And to say that your kid and the bully have to be treated the same way out of some sense of fairness or whatnot is crap. It is. And what it tells the kids in the school is that they can be model kids, but they screw up that one time because everybody has a bad day and there's going to be no grace for them. And they're not going to show grace to anyone else. And I have a real, real problem with that. Y'all, I really think there's so much wrong in our education system in this country. It is reflected in Georgia schools. And, you know, you got to give hats off to the governor here. The, the governor is someone I know some of you are not strong, strident fans of the governor, but uh, this is a man who cares deeply about the state of public education in Georgia and understands that if a kid does not have access to a good education as an elementary, middle, and high school student, they are not going to have a good life. And we are, in many cases, setting them up to fail. That's one reason I have a huge objection to Common Core. 
Now, I don't want to get off on the tangent of Common Core, but I will tell you what my concern is. And I hate to, I, I, I know it sounds very arrogant for me to say, but in all the conversations I have with, with people who are opposed to Common Core, uh, very few of them can articulate it this way, although this is what they're getting at. The problem with Common Core is not that it is a secret, super secret way to indoctrinate your children into Sharia law or, or the Islamic Brotherhood or a government conspiracy or whatnot. The problem with Common Core is that it was designed by American Fortune 500 companies to train your children to be good little worker bees for the Fortune 500. It takes away individuality, it takes away creativity, and it takes away entrepreneurship. Your children are required to learn math in ridiculous ways that make no sense to them or to you. It allows the state to take you out of the education process because you are unable to help your children at night with their math homework. It allows them to rely on the state increasingly. And it teaches them how to go work for someone else. The core skills that are being taught through the Common Core curricular are not core skills to help your children be a self-starter or their own boss. It helps them work for IBM, Apple, General Motors, Ford, Microsoft, um, you name it, one of the major corporations. And I got a problem with that. I also have a problem with how many people are making money off of selling the Common Core system. The math is just terrible. Our Eight-year-old is now in third grade, and we are going back through the nightmare of third-grade Common Core math. It's just miserable. The problem with our education system, though, is bigger than Common Core. It goes to the fact that, one, we have a collapsed family and a great many teachers who are doing a wonderful job are held accountable for the screw-ups of other people's kids. And the teachers are frustrated because they are essentially graded based on how well the kids in their classrooms perform on tests. And their kids are coming in from broken homes where dad's in jail and mom's on drugs and they can't get a meal. And the teachers are the ones who are going to get punished if the kid doesn't pass the test. It is no wonder that the Atlanta public school system had a cheating scandal. It really is no wonder. When everything is tested, you have standardized test after standardized test, and good teachers don't have the freedom to be able to be creative with the way they teach things, and you're bound to the test, and the test is going to reflect your income and your bonuses and whether or not you keep your job and whether or not your school is listed as passing or failing when you're in inner city school where 9 out of 10 of the kids come from a single-parent household where mom's working three jobs because dad's nowhere around, and you're the one who's going to get the blame. It's just terrible setup. Every single thing about the modern education system in the United States is designed for all sides to fail, the kids and the teachers. And let's not get into the fact that you've got some ill-behaved kids coming to school and you're having to have the teachers basically be their babysitter. But let's also not ignore the fact that there are, in some cases, some really awful public school teachers out there 
who, because of tenure and whatnot, they can stay on the payroll. You know, I had a teacher, well, I, I grew up overseas in Dubai, moved back to the United States, and uh, started off at a private school, and then gas prices spiked to the ridiculous price of $1.25 uh, during the Gulf War in 1990. And my parents decided I needed to, instead of driving 30 minutes to a private school, go down the street to the public school. So I graduated from public school. And I will never forget we had a teacher, Miss Smith, who claimed to have a um, have been injured by falling downstairs on a field trip. And she was a terrible teacher, just led the class run wild. That was my first. I'll never forget the first week in school. I went home in tears. It was so terrible. It was such an awful experience. She was such a terrible teacher. But she would walk down the hall, and if no one was around or she didn't think anybody was looking, she would walk just fine. But the moment she thought someone was coming, she would suddenly hunch over and and walk as if she had some terrible injury. And, and you get this sort of stuff. Um, that's what you get with, with on the government payroll in so many cases. It, it was a terrible setup. Uh, we have got to fundamentally rethink education in this country, but honestly, nothing's going to fix it if we don't fix the family. And you're not allowed to say that because you're labeled as a bigot, a homophobe, a racist, or whatnot. All, all, all of the terrible ills of this country are piled on top of you if you point out that the modern American two-parent nuclear heterosexual household family, which is the most stable way to raise a child in this country, has absolutely collapsed under, under liberal programs. And we're not going to fix the underlying problems if we don't fix that. And you're not allowed to fix that because if you fix that well... You know, that would be asking too much, and you would probably be a terrible person for daring to take a stand for the family. Fifty-seven after the hour, Eric Erickson in for Hannity. Atlanta's Evening News will start next. We're trying to keep you up to date with traffic and get you out of town on schedule. Unless you're headed to South Carolina, then you're kind of stuck. Uh, in any event, uh, the phone number 404-872-0750-1800, WSB Talk, a rather heartwarming story I saw in USA Today, a mother and father in Tennessee uh, trying desperately to have a child, uh, and they tried for seven years to have a child. And could not. And they tried in vitro. They tried everything. And finally, uh, the wife's best friend decided she would serve as a surrogate. And the first embryo they implanted uh, didn't take. But the second one did. And they had a beautiful, just adorable little boy. And 10 months later, the couple that tried for seven years and had to give up and use a surrogate, um, they're pregnant the good old fashioned way, <laughs> having, having a second child, um, they'll be 19 months apart, um, having boys. The uh, first one was a boy and the second one was, that's just, I love stories like that. Uh, the unexpected delights of the Lord. Now, when we come back. I want to shift gears again. More stories out there. The FBI now finally warning about Antifa, and you've got left-wing activists suddenly saying, what on earth have we unleashed? An amazing story from Matt Labash of the Weekly Standard circulating the Internet. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 
It's nine after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. Our radar is clear. Uh, hopefully we will have a good weekend. Uh, uh, one small bit of programming. We have resumed with gusto uh, our Not Everything's Political podcast uh, that we do with the show. Um, if you would do me a favor, and I, I mean this legitimately, seriously, you'll you'll help us out. A uh, great way to help the resurgent as well is if you will uh, subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or whatever you do with, I honestly have no idea uh, what you do on an Android phone, uh, and rate us in, in the iTunes store or what have you. That would help us tremendously. Subscribing would be uh, tremendously huge for us. Now, um, and along with the show that you get downloaded, we'll throw in these Not Everything Political Conversations. Uh, the one we're releasing uh, upcoming is with uh, Ken Cuccinelli, former Attorney General of Virginia, now the head of the Senate Conservatives Fund, a longtime friend of mine. Uh, had a had a fun conversation with him earlier today. His hobbies, and <laughs> I asked him what his superpower would be, <laughs> and it was one I had never heard of before. Uh, well, I mean, I'd heard of it, but just no one had ever said it before. You got to listen to the podcast so to find out what it is. Before I get into Antifa, I'm assuming that most of you have seen the video of the nurse uh, out west. Where was it in in Utah? Um. Now, I know that a story like this is a big story because my wife is asking me if I've seen it. And my wife, who is so apolitical and does not do, she she just, she didn't ask me about the news. She doesn't like to pay attention to the news. And she's heard about this and is outraged. If you don't know about this, uh, the University of Utah Hospital burn unit uh, has a nurse there was a car chase. The car chase caused an innocent person to be severely injured. The severely injured um, patient is taken to this uh, hospital, the burn unit emergency room area, and a sheriff's detective demands that he be let in to take blood from the victim, wanted sample. It's not only against hospital policy to allow a police officer into the emergency room while a patient is being treated to take a blood sample. It is against basic constitutional law, Con Law 101. I mean, a, a, a first-year student in law school learns that it is unconstitutional for what the sheriff's detective wanted to do. And the nurse, Alex Wubble, uh, was very polite to him and said she couldn't. It was against hospital rules. Uh, he didn't have a warrant. Um, he couldn't do it. You hear on the video the sheriff's uh, detective's uh, partner ask the detective who wanted the, the blood sample why they couldn't come back later with a warrant. And the detective says on the video, these are all sheriff body cams says we don't have probable cause. So the nurse stands her ground. She gets a supervisor on the phone. She says, the supervisor says, sir, you're making a huge mistake. You're threatening a nurse. At which point, the police detective loses his cool. Well, he doesn't lose his cool. He snaps. So the sheriff's detective uh, just flips out. 
I mean, snaps, loses his cool, whatever you want to say, grabs hold of the nurse, shoves her out of the ER burn unit, puts handcuffs on her behind her back. She's screaming help and you're assaulting me. And he forces her into an unmarked car, accusing her of interfering with the investigation. All of this caught on video. By the way, again, the nurse was right. This is Constitutional Law 101. Now, the detective has been suspended from the blood draw unit, but he was remaining on active duty. The Salt Lake City Police Chief, Mike Brown, says it's very alarming, but he's on active duty. Now, what started this, just so you know, a, a suspect sped away from police in a pickup truck on a local highway and smashed head-on into a truck driver. The medic sedated the truck driver, who was severely burned, and took him, uh, arrived in a coma. The suspect died in the crash, and the um, the police detective is a police phlebotomist whose job is to collect blood from patients uh, check for illicit substances. So here's the thing. The goal, they said, was to protect the driver who was not suspected of a crime. They wanted to make it clear by doing this that there could be no accusations by the suspect's estate uh, that the truck driver had caused the wreck. Regardless of that, you know and I know that had they found an illegal substance in the truck driver's blood, they would charge him with a crime. You know and I know that would happen. And as is often the case, the the older police detective was paired with a younger police officer who didn't speak up, didn't hold him accountable. I am pro-police. That goes without saying. But I oftentimes think that there are some police officers in this country who use conservative support of police as a way to abuse their position. And in fact, on social media today, there are a vast number of people defending the police officer that if you don't stand with this police officer, you are somehow not backing the blue, as they're saying. It becomes hard to back the blue when police officers like this are allowed to continue their job and are not disciplined. It becomes hard to continue to defend the police that I regularly defend on this program. Uh, One bad apple spoiling the whole of them, and it's not fair. And I wouldn't stop defending the police because of a few jerks, but there are a lot of people who will. There are a lot of people who will grow suspicious. There are members of the police who abuse their position. That is a statement of fact. That there are people out there defending this police officer solely because he has a badge on. What's so ironic to me is that many of the people defending this police officer solely because he's a police officer are people who believe they need a Second Amendment right to defend themselves not from bad guys but from government. You need to defend yourself from someone like this. This guy gives all police a bad name. He shouldn't still be on the job. Again, y'all, a first-year student in law school 
a, a person with any common sense of ba- about basic constitutionality would know this was unconstitutional, what he was trying to do. He had no warrant. He had no probable cause. He admitted on video he had no probable cause. And then to do what he did to the nurse is wrong. And I am baffled that we have reached a point in American partisanship now where people have become so tribal that you have people looking at this situation, objectively hearing the facts and saying, so? He's a police officer. He can do whatever he wants. And what's even more bizarre is that most of the people saying that are people who believe that they have a Second Amendment right to defend themselves from the government, from people just like that. And yet they're going to defend his behavior. Have we gotten so tribal in this country that we don't have people, enough people willing to stand up for what's right generally? That it's got to be, well, he's part of our tribe. We've got to defend him because he's a police officer. And I think it makes it harder and harder to defend the tribe when you defend people like that. Twenty-six after the hour, Eric Erickson here on Atlanta's Evening News on WSB this Friday. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Okay. I gotta get into the Antifa story, and I have a minute here, so we're gonna do it when we come back on the other side of the break. Uh, because there are liberals. You know, I played that clip the other day. Um, oh, where is it here? Morning Joe the other day talking about uh, the Antifa nonsense. Political opponents, some surrounding controversial speakers on campus. Officers reported at least 14 arrests over the weekend. Nick, uh, this is this is an ongoing problem, ongoing problem in Berkeley, especially where uh, members of the far left are using violence to shut down free speech uh, and there to, to shut down demonstrators. Look, this is new. This is not just uh, scuffles between rival protesters, right? This is shutting down someone else's speeches with a violent assault. See, but that's not, he's right. This is Nick Confessori from the New York Times. This is not new. They've been doing this now, even in the Obama years, and people are only just waking up to it and they think it's new, but it's not. Uh, Some of us, myself included, have been documenting this for a while. And I say this as someone who literally had protesters show up on my front porch who were for President Trump. I had Trump protesters show up who were pro-Trump. These people have been doing it for a lot longer and they're a lot more violent and their people are just now waking up to it. We'll get into this when we come back. Thirty-nine after the hour, Eric Erickson here as we continue to try to get you out of town this Labor Day weekend. We've got a special college football launch program that is going to be happening at 6 p.m. this evening. Yes, I will not be on until 7 tonight. From 6 to 8, it is the Georgia Bulldogs weekend kickoff with Dave Baker, Belinda Skelton, and Jay Black. They're going to be taking your calls. Going to have um, Tim Andrews, Scott Howard, uh, Neil Bortz is going to be in there. Yes. You're going to want to stick around for that from 6 to 8 o'clock. All of you Bulldog fans. I'm starting to see all of the virtue signaling on Instagram as people start putting on their school colors. Some people have terrible school colors. 
Uh, mine are appropriate this time of year with with Mercer, black and orange, uh, perfect for Halloween. Uh, do you know I have had season tickets to Mercer football games the last three years in a row, and I haven't been. I need to go, I guess. I need to go to a Georgia game. Um, I haven't been to one of those in a while. Uh, I haven't been to Athens in a while. I need to go. In any event, uh, people are losing their minds on the left over an FBI report, and then they're realizing it's dawning on them that it's not Donald Trump who did it. See, the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security have told local law enforcement around the country that Antifa is a domestic terrorist organization, that their activities are classified as domestic terrorist violence. If you will remember when the Obama administration came into power, one of the things that they did was they immediately labeled American soldiers from overseas who were returning home as potential right-wing domestic terrorists. Well, when people first heard about this report coming out, they were losing their business because they thought that this was Donald Trump as payback, that Donald Trump's Homeland Security Department was doing this to Antifa activists as payback for what um, Barack Obama had done to U.S. servicemen. And, well, turns out it was Barack Obama's Department of Homeland Security and FBI who did this. Previously unreleased documents disclosed that by April of 2016, authorities believe anarchist extremists were primary instigators of violence at public rallies against a range of targets. They were blamed by authorities for attacks on the police, government, and political institutions, along with symbols of the quote-unquote capitalist system, racism, social injustice, and fascism. According to a confidential 2016 joint intelligence assessment by Barack Obama's Department of Homeland Security and the FBI. They were targeting Trump rallies. You know, Matt Labash has a great piece in the Weekly Standard that's online, available uh, for free access today, about a, a Samoan, a Japanese-American, and a black guy in California who have been attacked and knifed by Antifa activists uh, claiming that they're Nazis because they organize peaceful free speech rallies. And because they're organizing free speech rallies for libertarians and conservatives, they therefore must be Nazis and must be stabbed. And people on the left are reading the story today, this profile, and, and they're horrified by what Antifa is doing as if they never knew. Some of them are still giving moral cause to Antifa that, well, the means are wrong, but the ends are good. There are actually people out there trying to make that argument. But what is predominantly happening is that people are starting to realize Antifa is the kissing cousin of the white supremacist movement. They are violent activists, violent anarchists. And Labash actually documents all of the violence that never got reported in the mainstream press against Trump supporters. You know, the, the press fellow head over heels over covering uh, any violence that happened to protesters at Donald Trump events. And what they never, ever covered was even before that stuff started happening, and one of the reasons Trump was telling his supporters to fight back was because Antifa activists were literally hunting down Trump supporters as they left rallies and beating them up. In more than one case, fathers, mothers, and children all getting assaulted by Antifa activists leaving Trump rallies. And rarely did it get any coverage from the press. And now here comes Barack Obama's FBI and Barack Obama's Department of Homeland Security saying these people are domestic terrorists. Fascinating. 
y'all, the the reality here is that Antifa is a terrible organization. That's just the reality of it. They are a violent organization, and they are no better than that which they claim to protest. I mean, they really aren't. They, they aren't any better than that which they claim to protest. And none of us should think otherwise. None of us should in any way, shape, or form think that Antifa is going to improve, that Antifa is going to in some way, shape, or form uh, be better than than what we than what is claimed than than what they actually are. We're, it's not going to change. They are a terrorist organization. They are abusive. They are violent, and they want to shut down anyone who dissents. Let's not kid ourselves. Let's not dance around that fact. Uh, these people need to be shut down. And when Barack Obama's own Department of Homeland Security is willing to point it out and tell local law enforcement, you know it's serious. And you cannot give them moral cover and you should not give them moral cause. work as hard as you do folks you deserve a great night's sleep and that's going to happen for you if you get into mattress firm between now and monday for their labor day savings they've got some great deals now through monday all of their mattresses are on sale it's not a limited selection it's not just floor models it is all of their mattresses you can get beauty rest recharge mattresses for just 574.49 they normally retail in excess of a thousand one hundred dollars Got some great deals. You can get the Dream Bed Lux at an unbelievable value. You can get financing on it as well. Great, great financing. You want to get the Dream Bed Lux? It's only $39 a month for six years plus. You get a free adjustable base. Call 866-780-6220 for credit costs and terms that's subject to credit approval. Uh, great deals and great financing right now at Mattress Firm. Uh, with their Labor Day sale, it's through Monday. If you want a great night's sleep and you want a great deal on a great night's sleep, I highly suggest you get into Mattress Firm today, tomorrow, Sunday, or Monday for their great deal. Uh, before I get out of here, let me if you'll humor me for a minute uh, before we get into the football show, let me read one small um, bit to you. Um, this is what I wrote, I guess, months ago uh, on a mountaintop. Uh, here's what's happening as I'm writing this, actually, I guess. Exactly seven days ago, Gunner was in surgery, having his tonsils and adenoids removed. Five days ago, Christy had surgery to reattach a retina. For the last week, I've gotten up at midnight, 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. to give Gunner pain medicine. For the first few days, Christy had to have pain medicine, too. Thankfully, my in-law stayed with us for the week. I cooked and stayed up through the night. They did the laundry, got Evelyn back and forth to school, and helped her with her homework while taking care of Gunner and Christy during the day. I worked all day. In addition to being up all night, I still had my radio show to do in the evening. I found myself staying up till midnight to give Gunner his first dose of medicine and in the quiet part of the night doing as much work as I could, including writing. Every time I wake Gunner up to give him his medicine, he screams and fights me for close to 20 minutes. He spits out his medicine multiple times. He shakes uncontrollably. We go through multiple shirts, but he'll finally wear down, be still, and submit. I'm not sure there's a better analogy to God. Be still and know that I am dad, to paraphrase the scripture. What my kids do not see is me staying up after Gunner's gone back to sleep and wiping tears out of my eyes. 
It hurts me to see my wife and my kids in pain. Gunner's screams are so terrible. He can't talk. He holds his throat with his hands. He tries to cover his ears with his elbows. When it doesn't work, he moves his hands back and forth. One of the things I see more and more is that there's a theology to pain. It seems real now that we can relate more to other people's suffering because of the suffering we've experienced as a family. These are some of the words I wrote in Before You Wake. Uh, This is the second chapter. The last chapter, of course, is the cookbook. If you are at all interested in pre-ordering this, uh, the hard copies will be arriving at my house, some of them at any moment this afternoon, if UPS would hurry the heck up and get here. Uh, You can pre-order this, though, if you want to text WAKE, W-A-K-E, uh, to 444-999. Uh, you get all sorts of little stories in here and a bunch of recipes at the end, including gumbo. Text WAKE to 444-999. You guys have a great Labor Day weekend.